You are listening to the podcast When Life Gives You Lemons, presented by me, Emma Levy. Having worked with elite athletes for most of my career, it's always intrigued me that a significant number of high-performing individuals have encountered some form of adversity earlier in their lifetime. My fascination into this grew when I had my own brush with adversity, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in May 2020, in the midst of the global pandemic at the age of only 36. During this period, I questioned whether it was my positive mindset or maybe something deeper, which enabled me to bounce back and to train and compete for a triathlon just one month following completion of all active cancer treatment. The goal of this podcast is to explore this concept further by meeting a variety of high-performing individuals who have experienced adversity, but who have come back stronger. Today, I'm welcoming Marcus Smith to the podcast. Marcus is an extreme athlete, motivational speaker, coach and entrepreneur. Having come from a background of professional rugby, he then in 2010 moved to CrossFit and endurance challenges and over the years he has participated in a multitude of extraordinary ultra and extreme events. He is the owner of Innerfight, a gym in Dubai and he has a podcast with the same name. In 2018, Marcus faced a near-death experience when he was hit by a truck whilst out on a bike. This traumatic experience allowed Marcus to gain a new perspective on life, and nine months following that incident, he completed an epic challenge of completing 30 marathons in 30 days. He now shares his passion for life and his positive mindset with others through coaching, motivational speaking and podcasting. There's so much I want to discuss with Marcus, so let's get stuck in. Marcus, thank you for joining us today. It is really great to finally meet you. Um, I would have loved to somehow engineered a trip to sunny Dubai, but unfortunately, <laughs> the budget of When Life Gives You Lemons doesn't quite allow that at the moment. Not um, yet. It's coming. <laughs> exactly. I believe in you, Emma. Thank you. I believe in myself as well. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with a really, really broad question. Um, tell us who is Marcus Smith and how did you get to where you are today? Wow. <laughs> you said we only have an hour. Yeah. Right? I love it. I love it when you send me all these questions and that one isn't even in it. Anyway, <laughs> I'll stop the bluff. Like, it's interesting. It's a really great question. The who am I, right? And through all of my coaching and I guess through my life experiences, I ask people that often and people struggle with it. I spend a lot of time making notes on it and refining it. But essentially, I'm the same as anyone else. I'm a human being made up of skin, bones, some organs, uh, some damaged muscles, some tired bones. And I'm a human being that is trying to live in a way that when I wake up every morning, I... Someone put it actually this morning, which I I really like, which resonated with me a lot. I feel light. And that for me is is happiness. So I'm just trying to live in a way, coach people in a way that I can wake up every morning excited about what I'm going to do that day. And I think I'm a good person, Emma, but lots of people might say I'm not. (laughs) But I think we can all be good to each other. I'm trying to be as good as I can be. Life does give you lemons. Life is a roller coaster. And I want to go to bed at night smiling. I always speak to Holly, my wife, 
over dinner. And as I go to bed, before I ask her what's for dinner tomorrow night, I always spend a moment reflecting on with a day, the way the day went and what I'm excited about tomorrow. So I think often because, and, and this might resonate with, with you because of what you've been through and what you've done, people often come and say, oh, you've got, I don't know, I, I think superpowers is probably a little bit egotistical, but you know, you're, you're a little bit different. But at the end of the day, mate, I'm exactly the same as, as many other people. I'm a human being stood up in a load of skin and bones and stuff. And I wake up every morning and I make choices the same as a lot of people have to make. So that's really who I am, I think, which to some people might sound a little bit woo-woo, but that's the way it is. We like woo-woo. <laughs> so how did you become that person? Were you always that person when you were playing rugby or has it been a transition as you've come from the rugby into the more kind of endurance world? That's a brilliant question. And to be honest with you, you mentioned it in the introduction. In 2018, I, I had quite an interesting encounter with a truck when I was on my bike. And of course, my programming until that time and for a certain amount of time after that had been what it what it was. And we're, we're sort of somewhere you could argue 70 to 80 percent programmed by our subconscious we don't actually really know what's going on and i had been programmed in a certain way and i think my crash made me look at things a little bit different and of course people ask me do you think this will change you and i was like no i'm the same person i was yesterday but mate we're just over five years on now and i'm very different maybe that's age Maybe th this is just the way it's meant to be. I believe everything is really the way it's meant to be until you make it different. And then that's mm -hmm. the way it's meant to be because if it was meant to be different, then it would be different. And yeah. that might sound a little bit conflicting to some people, but that's just the way I, I, I see it. So I was who I was when I was playing rugby, which if I if I look back on it and, and be brutally honest with you, Emma, I was a very stereotypical rugby player, probably overly arrogant, uh, very good at drinking 10 pints very fast and then taking all my clothes off and running around bars. And, you know, I don't think I'm proud of the arrogance, but I'm, I'm quite proud of the 10 pints and the running around naked. I think that's, <laughs> that's okay. You know, but yeah, I think we were, we were very different back then and to what we are now. Was I living the life I wanted to live back then? You know, even when I was even when I had my crash, I was absolutely living the life I wanted to live. And now I'm living the life I want to live now. So I think we're, we're always changing the world. Society wants us to have a, a linear path. And I know it's a little bit cliched, but life's not linear. You know, there's ups, downs. One day you're, you know, you're working towards something and the next day you're, you know, in, in that year, 2018, I was, I was going to try and set a world record you know and then the next minute i'm i'm dead literally not literally but i was dying on the side of the road with no medical care around so yeah so tell yeah, us a bit more about that tell us more about that crash what actually happened i it was my fault 50% of it 
you know, and, and you have to own these things. I think there's a lack of ownership in the world at the moment. And I've owned this since the day that it happened. I was, I was undertaking a truck mm. and I didn't realize that they were, that we drive on the right-hand side over here and I was undertaking them. And the reason why the truck had slowed down is because it wanted to turn right into a blind entrance and it didn't see me in its wing mirror. And I just, it just hit like that and then pushed me onto a brick wall and I hit it at 54 kilometers an hour and (laughs) it doesn't end well you know and Mm. it's interesting because bones break you know very very easily at that at those speeds and the good thing about bones and and you definitely resonate with this bones are not really a massive issue however organs and soft tissue causes a lot bigger issues so the the fact that i'd broken seven ribs and shattered my scapula was not a problem but the fact that my left lung i i got what they call a lung hemothorax which essentially your lung kind of bursts like a, a balloon if, if you want and that makes breathing difficult and without breath there's no life yeah. so yeah it was it was super interesting mate and and every time i talk about it every time i think about it every time i write about it i learn more from it and you know it was there was about two hours before i got medical attention i was where i like to be i was in the middle of the mountains and takes ambulances a long time to get to places like that and were you alone or were you with anyone i wasn't alone and this is where you know i might freak you out a few times during this chat but i'll I'll freak you out now there was some with me were two airline pilots and a former professional cyclist so i was literally with the best people like the only thing that was missing was there was no ambulance close by Mm. um so they they helped me they knew what to do in these situations but at the end of the day they couldn't put oxygen into into my body um but i i you know and this this happened on the 10th of february 2018 and if you if you're listening take a minute and go back to my instagram it's a long way back i post a lot you'll have to scroll all the way back but on the 9th of february 2018 i put a post up and some text on the post which i wrote all by myself which says everything happens for a reason wow do you still believe that then yeah i I really do you know and i think like (laughs) reflecting on it i guess you know, back in those days, you could kind of pick any cliche from wherever and stick it on Instagram and no one could call you out. <laughs> and now it's like so cheesy. Mm. But I really do, mate. I just, you know, I, I heard something on uh, on a podcast actually during lockdown. And, you know, this guy said things happen the way they happen and they couldn't happen any other way because they didn't, you know, so it's it's yeah. brutal mate and you've probably seen it through through what you've been through it's very 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 hard in the moment to understand that and actually to connect the dots mm. and this is where i think our biggest jewel with immediate gratification is because we want to connect the dots in the moment when you were diagnosed you're like why me why now what's this what's that what's mm-hmm. going to happen and i went through exactly the same things like life was totally uncertain for me for for a number of hours into days really yeah and you know you sort of sit there and 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 you try and put in your mind this rational thinking well everything happens for a reason and life's not linear and all these cliches and you know you need to 
you need to create that space to actually calculate what's happened and process mm. what's happened. And that also takes a disproportionate amount of energy and I think hard work as well. And I mean, you're, you're, you I, it's difficult because whose experience was more traumatic, mine or yours? We yeah. always get in these sort of conversations. I right? always but say there's I'm no curious. hierarchy in trauma. You know, everyone's trauma <laughs> is as important to them as to others. <laughs> basically well that's it mate you know that's exactly true but if, if we say you know all trauma was created equally then we we agree on that however the processing of all trauma was not created equally and it could take if you'd have gone through exactly what i went through you could recover faster or slower and if i'd have gone through what you went through i could have recovered faster yeah. or slower yeah. and depending on how i work through it and i think that's really important for people is and and this is a lot based i i think it really comes from sort of ancient meditation and you know allowing thoughts to come and just allowing them to sit out here in in space somewhere mm -hmm. and not having to act on things but we're increasingly taught by society to act on things and I don't think that's right. I think yeah. we need time. Yeah, well, so, it's, it's yeah. the processing of that trauma and how that coincides with mindset. That was one of my biggest motivations for this podcast, actually. Um, and so, you know, talking to people who have been through trauma and examining how they've processed that and how they've moved forward to where they are today, I find really very fascinating. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, the, the, the mindset thing, if, if we kind of just jump to mindset now. Um, the importance of mindset. And I'll give you an example here based on my experiences. Um, when I was going through my cancer treatment and I kept exercising the whole way through, so I was, you know, running when I could and going to the gym, etc. And I remember being out for a run with a friend. Um, this was, you know, a few days after my chemo treatment. And we, we get back to her house to stretch and suddenly I get this epic nosebleed um, I'm hit with this kind of like wave of vertigo. So I'm lying on the floor, like unable to move. <laughs> and I'm kind of just like, you know, that's all right. It's just because I'm going through chemo and I've just been for a run. I'm fine. You know, it's going to pass. And I remember she was basically horrified. <laughs> I and, and I think I remember at that moment kind of thinking about the importance of mindset. And that's what I'm so, yeah. I'm so interested in analyzing and questioning people like you you know, what's your thoughts on mindset? And yeah, how can we control it? How can we teach that? I think we can absolutely, absolutely teach people mindset. However, it's like anything we have to, we have to want to learn. Mm. And there's the difference. I think it's, I think, I think most things, well, if you look at the way humans are, we're, yes, we're born with certain things whether they're passed down to us however all of that works and you know that's a that's a whole topic but we we're very good at learning things we weren't born with the ability to walk we were born with the tools to be able to walk and then we practiced it a lot we were all born with a brain and that's the mindset so i think the problem goes back to a little bit what i what i said when we're talking about recovery or processing things is that 
it's incredibly hard and can take some time. We're five years on and guaranteed, and maybe I'll let you know in one day or maybe in one year what my takeaway, what my therapy is from talking to you today about my crash. There'll be something and it'll just come to me. So, yeah, you can, you know, but it's, it, you need to want to learn and you need to understand the, the role that mindset plays. And if you haven't been exposed to that for a number of years, if you pick someone up who's 30 years old and they haven't been exposed to the importance of mindset in any area of life, be it sports performance, relationship performance or work performance, they're going to struggle. Mm. And especially if they don't want to change, if they don't want to leverage it. But Mindset's huge and, and, and yeah. it's really how I built my, my training business and, and why our brand name is called In A Fight because I realized very early that it was not just about the sets and the reps, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so much different to that, you know? And when I started having conversations with people in 2005 and 2006 you know we, we were playing around with with crossfit and just working out in a different way and you know i was as bored as everyone else with you know going to the gym and doing some dips some pull-ups some bench press rarely doing back squats but then doing a couple of deadlifts <laughs> biceps triceps and leaving you know yeah. i was like this this isn't what it's supposed to be yeah. i was like the the mind is the is the weapon here and you know when we start to, and a lot of this is, it's the reason why people struggle with it is because it's a lot harder to measure. Mm -hmm. If you're Usain Bolt, you can run the hundred meters in nine seconds, point whatever, super fast, very impressive, very measurable. And if I change this on your Lycra, I've proven this in a wind tunnel that this goes point da 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 da. Sweet. How do I measure the conversation you have with the fuel attendant? at the at the petrol pump mm -hmm. how do i measure that and how do i measure the impact that that will have on you yeah now i actually run that with some clients it's one of my favorite tools i'm like pick you know everyone fills their car up i'm like tell me the tell me what that interaction was like with the person in the fuel station what you took from them what you gave from them you yeah. know because that's everything is energy so what's actually going on there and how does that process in your mind? And some people get back, and this is what, what I'm really talking about for people that think I'm absolutely nuts. What I'm actually talking about is how does it affect you positively or negatively if the person at the fuel station is polite to you or not polite to you? You'll carry that into your car and yeah. you'll carry that into your life, into your performance in various areas of life. Yeah. And we're doing it all the time, but for the most part, we're doing it subconsciously. We have no awareness around it. So you think we should become more aware about all the interactions in our day and how that, how that affects our mind and then how that affects our mind is going to affect our body because our mind and body are so interrelated, basically. 100%. And that's how I define happiness. Happiness is a heightened state of awareness. Mm. That's all it is, in my opinion. Yeah. And we could argue the whole day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's... A lot of people like, oh, I want to be happy. And you talk about what happiness is. And for some people, it's fast cars. Others, it's hot cups of coffee. Others, it's oceans views. You know, all of these yeah, nice, yeah. beautiful <laughs> things and stuff. But what are all those things? All those things are actually a height. For me, all those things are a heightened state of awareness. And it's going to be different for everyone. But mm -hmm. yeah, self-awareness is, is, is huge. And, you know, it's not, 
I don't think it's a surprise, Emma, that we're, we don't have it because we're often told, like if you look at a life cycle of a human being, we're told what to do, we're told what to do, we're asked what we want to become, and then we're told we should become something different. And then we go to work and then we get told how to do something. And we're always getting told, getting told, getting told. Mm. So it's like, you know, it's okay if you're 40 years old and you turn around and go, who the fuck am I? Because, you know, like you've been told for 40 years, but you might not agree with it. Yeah. So do you think we should have more choice from the very beginning? That's a good question. And it's a very dangerous one. I think we should be taught about self-awareness and we should be listen i don't have children but i hear a lot about the education system these days and i remember well i don't remember a lot of what i was taught at school which is a problem Mm -hmm. but i remember a lot of the interactions i had at school so what does that say that says what the skills that I'm deploying in my life now are not the ones that were written up on a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. They're the interactions that I maybe had and what I put under the frame of more life skills and life skills is teaching people to be aware. Yeah. yeah. When, when do you get taught like how to like basic manners? Is that up to our parents? Is that up to school? Mm-hmm. You know, and is the school, does the school get measured on manners or does it get measured on how you can do your multiplication? It gets measured on multiplication. And what do we, what do the schools want? They want high ranking. So you've got a load of brats in a school with like nines or whatever they call them. Like, I don't know why they just went past A stars. I was like, A stars is more than enough. Now they call them nines. I hear exactly. I don't understand. (laughs) I digress. Yeah, I do. I do know. So I've got children at school and I do know, I think they are getting better at teaching emotional intelligence. A hundred percent. But how much of that is kind of just a tick box exercise? I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the thing. And and then it's it's also and maybe you've got more thoughts about it, like as a as a parent, like and, and this is the flip side of it. Like, are we if we are really bullish on emotional intelligence education, when do we do it? When's the right time? Mm-hmm. When when did I become am I emotionally aware? I, I'm, someone might be listening and going, this guy's an absolute idiot. You know, he's just got no idea what he's talking yeah. about. But when when do we give it to them? Because I guess as, as a parent, we want our children to do well and mm. we want them to excel in things that either they choose or if we're living vicariously through them, which is, again, <laughs> quite a nice problem. But, you know, so what what's the point and what's the point that maybe slows them down in mm. the trajectory that we dreamed about for them I, I it's and to be honest with you mate that's probably why i'm not a parent because i'd be so bad at it <laughs> yeah, that, do, do you know do um not... do you know matthew syed the author yes so yes. he's written a book a children's book actually on fixed mindset and growth mindset um right. so again i think you know there are more books like that available to kids and i have started yeah. reading that with my children but you know for even for my 10 year old still struggles to grasp the concept a little bit so, but in my yeah. opinion, if you kind of just give them all the information as young as you can, and then they've got it somewhere in there that when it's appropriate, he might find the right, the right advice. Yeah. But in terms of teaching, it's tricky. It's, it's really super tricky. tricky. Um, yeah. I think it's more difficult to train their mind than their body. But that, I agree. Yeah. 200%. Um, but that's the biggest thing as well is that if you it's very easy for a very short time period to train someone's body 
and they will get depending on what they do they could get some really good results in that short time period however if we go back to what i said at the start i personally want to wake up every morning feeling light feeling energized feeling excited about the day that's quite long term so what forces or what enables forces is probably a bit aggressive but what enables long-term physical training is having the right mindset and it's the whole equation which was i think it was like on every podcast about six months ago what comes first motivation or discipline and what is it jocko wilkin discipline eats motivation for breakfast i mean they come together i think but yeah. um yeah i don't know no. i see i'm i'm actually again I, i'm sounding so cheesy but i think discipline is the is is the winner and really? if i think back yeah i do mate and i think not that i had the best education but i think back to my education you know we never ever spoke about goals in 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 school like and i don't know i don't know if you think the same but we like discipline was such a key part of school mm. you know but it was never yeah goals sort of came after your university or during university i guess yeah yeah but i struggle to think how can you be disciplined if you don't have the motivation so you need the motivation of a goal, in my opinion, yeah. to maintain disciplined. Yeah, and and that's the thing. And the, the perception of, of what a goal is, mm. is super important. Because when you say goals to people, normally it's like, you know, a uh, hundred kilo deadlift or a four hour marathon or, you know, stuff like that. And I mean, again, through, through what, what you've been through, you know, sometimes a, a goal could could literally be to get off the bed that day yeah you know like if you're if you're feeling pretty shit you know that's a and I, I remember one one guy one of the early guys that i sort of coached and mentored he suffered super super badly uh with depression and one of his goals for a number of weeks i think it was two or three weeks was the only thing he had to do on a particular day was to floss his teeth mm. that was it there was nothing else, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I think the interpretation of goals is it's I think that needs some refining. I'm, I'm sort of turning into a guy that hates society very fast, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to be very into setting goals as well as a physio. I was always, you know, we, we used to talk about smart goals. Um, yeah. So if, you know, for people listening that might not know specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, um, targeted goals. Um now, through these conversations, I my opinion on goals has actually changed because sometimes I think there is the fear, not the fear. I think if someone is too focused on a goal, they don't enjoy the present. And I think we need to be careful with that yeah. because we need to be enjoying the present and the now. And if we're too focused on what's next, I think that there's there's worry that, you know, we just go through life without enjoying the now. So how do you therefore create the now yeah i agree you have to set goals <laughs> no i i agree but so i think maybe within our smart goal system we need a enjoy the now you know yeah like maybe like yeah. smart enjoy now <laughs> yeah it's it's mate I, I i don't know what the answer is either it's it's always interesting to hear because it's i i agree with you like we need to know where we're going but 
we need to know how we get there. And if we're to create, you know, quality time, if we're to create focus, that's, that happens right now, you know, and what, what really in, in, in my situation that we spoke about, what, what really did those world records mean when I was, you know, left on the side of the road? Mm. Nothing. Yeah. Totally. But my whole, my whole life had been dedicated to them for a period of time. You know, when I started training and it was a, a lot of training, I was riding my bike eight hours a day, most days, you know, I was just so committed to this thing, but then suddenly bang, it just goes. Hmm. And then the, what, if I wasn't able to create that focus in the now to get the oxygen in and, and, and it's like, if, if, if I can explain it in one way, it's like when you've been winded really badly times a few more times, mm -hmm. you just, you know, you just can't breathe. Yeah. And so then those world records meant absolutely nothing. And they, they don't mean anything to me now. And I've never gone back to try and, to try and achieve that. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, we've yeah. got, we've gone back to accidents. So let's talk about how, how did your perspective on life change following that accident? And what took you to the 30 marathons in 30 days challenge? Because that's mega. And that was only what, eight months after. So I'm quite fascinated how you got there and also why. I, so where it actually started was I was in, when I was released from ICU, I was moved to the main ward and I pretty much knew that that would be my home for a few days. I was there for about a week and the endurance world is, is a strange one. People just send you things. <laughs> like I've seen this and it's got your name on it. And a lot of the time I won't even read them you know, and sometimes I will. And then you just sort of put them wherever. Anyway, the second day that I was in the main ward, I remembered getting this message from a friend of mine. And it was actually a route across the island of Corsica, which was just about 200 kilometers and just over 10,000 meters of elevation, a run. And I just got it up on my phone and I started reading it. And I'm quite like that. I'm I'm pretty big on sort of gut feelings. If it feels right in your gut, just just go for it, you know. And so I love all these guys that people that these books that have come out now don't trust your gut. It's like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got four books on the bookshelf over here, gut feelings. So anyway, I read it and I was like, got to do this. And I send a good friend of mine. He actually works with me now, and we spend a lot of time together. Probably disproportionate. <laughs> I sent it to him and I was like, you know, this is the date. This is, we're going to do it. He's like, mate, you, you can't, at this point I hadn't got off the hospital bed <laughs> and he's like, mate, just get well. And that was what started it. And I think to really answer your question, when you are, and to go back to goals, when you are in the pursuit of goals, physical goals, challenges, having something maybe in the diary always kind of motivates you that really helped me because that was like he was a school teacher at the time and that was the first of july we were going to start this run across corsica and i could somehow conceptualize that i sat there and i still had an oxygen mask on because i couldn't breathe and you know i had a pipe in my my lungs had a, a, a catheter in and you know i was not in a good shape but sometimes and this is where i i talk a lot with clients about sort of and and, and with my coaches about big picture coaching, like some people need a big picture 
to actually know that the next six months of life is is going to be something no matter what it is and then we we can kind of just park that like i didn't need to know when we're starting you know i didn't need to know the anal things about that i didn't need to know what that training plan was but then i could work back from that and i could focus that the first time the physio came into the room probably actually on that same day and said do you want to go for a walk i was like yes i want to go for a walk you know, I actually looked at him and I went, are you kidding me? <laughs> like I haven't moved for four or five days. And he goes, yeah, just sit up. And literally, mate, you you know this working in that area. Like you guys know exactly what, what you're doing. But to a patient who hasn't moved for four days, it's like, and he took 20 minutes to get me upright, mm-hmm. you know, and then and the whole thing. And it's just like, so that whole big picture thing helps me to get discipline and therefore motivation or motivation and therefore discipline to work on a, on, on a daily basis. And, and it sort of started this thing and I had a fear of my bike. And to be honest with you, Emma, it took me about three years to get over that fear. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I had no desire to ride a bike. Yeah. And so then I, I, I was like, well, I like running. I've always run. I ran a lot as a kid and, you know, I put it all throughout my, my training when I was playing rugby, when I was doing CrossFit and, you know, and, and as Holly would say, if Marcus likes something, he's all in. And she said it in, in the documentary they made about my crash. And she's the, the, the interviewer said like, how would you describe him? And she's like, all in, like all in. So of course, mate, I start reading books on more books on running and, I picked up Dean Carnassus book. He'd run 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states. And then there's an initiative here in Dubai, which is fortunately not 50 days. It's only 30 days. And I was like, this just fits in. And I just thought to myself, I I just wonder how this might go, you know? And honestly, I, I didn't know if I could do it. I really didn't. I didn't, I didn't feel insecure about it but i wasn't super confident with it and i was just i just thought why not you know i've just come from i've hit rock bottom like you can't walk you can't breathe you're pissing in a bag you know it's 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 a mess you know the nurse is cleaning me and you know you're you sort of and i think that's one of the biggest things that since then i don't i don't care like i never used to care people used to come to my gym and you know they'd come without shoes to train in and i'd be like it doesn't matter mate just so it's pretty basic to start with but that you know when you've when when you're 40 years old and the nurses i've got two nurses cleaning me and i'm just going thank you so much thank i'm so grateful thank you mm-hmm. you know you're just like and you'll have seen I, you've probably felt similar things with the people that have been taking care of you and yeah. you know or that took took you through chemotherapy and stuff because they're just they're amazing human yeah. beings you know and you just you're at you're not at rock bottom, but I was at rock bottom, mate, yeah. basically. And I was like, what? Let's see what happens. And, you know, the, the cool thing with the initiative is that it's, I managed to tie it into schools. And I was like, I was actually, I was massively inspired by a friend and he sent me a, a message and it was so unemotional, but it was just, and these are good friends, right? Like mm. they know when to send you emotional shit and they know when to just smash you right between the face. <laughs> and when I had my crash, this guy sent me a message. He goes, I heard you had a crash. I hope you're okay. What a fucking story. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> I'm just like, wow. But 
yeah, you know, yeah. and you just need these people in, yeah. in your life, you know, and I was just like, so that was in the back of my mind. I was like, what a story. Yeah, This is a great story. And I didn't know who I was going to tell it to. I didn't know that five years on we'd be having this conversation and that hopefully one person or half a person that listens to this show might actually take some action. But, you know, I was just like, this is it. And yeah, the snowball starts to snowball and it was wild. And so do you, do you think right. you did it initially for yourself or to tell the story to inspire people? What was your primary goal with that? The, my primary goal was a little bit of exploration of my own ability because I didn't, I genuinely didn't know if I could do it or not. And I thought to myself, well, if this is forcing me to explore my mental and physical and spiritual capacity as a human being, maybe that will motivate others to do the same, mm. you know, and that really, that really resonated with me. I, I didn't, I don't think I ever set out in my coaching career with the objective of, you know, it wasn't always, it, it's not, it's not me and it's not them. It's us, yeah. you know, I, I never, I never see coaching as, as one party, like one of my or a criteria for my coaching, I have seven different points. One of them is that I can teach the person something, but the other is that they can teach me something, yeah. which is, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's true. It's like, yeah, I'm going to charge you to teach me something. It's going to be really wicked, you know, <laughs> like, but it's, it has to be this, this mutual relationship. And, and that's what, that's what, what my runs were. And then there was two other very clear cut reasons, which I'm, I'm really proud to share. One of them was I knew I'd learn a lot, mm -hmm. which would then help me to help others and myself more. And, and the final reason was, was really my family was my, my wife, my mom, and my dad, because, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. My the cyclist guy that was with me, he actually, I, I, I always wear, and I've always worn a ID band on my wrist mm -hmm. for these situations. And he got my wife's phone number from that. And he sent it to his wife who called my wife and said, Marcus has had a crash. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot, even now. And back then I used to think about it even more because Mignon called Holly up and said, Marcus had a crash, pack a bag. Like that was the context. And she goes, I'm coming to pick you up. And I'm like, wow, I've put, I've put her through this, you know? And I think a lot about sort of the sacrifices that, and I know that my family don't see what they've done for me as sacrifices because, and they're the same that I think we don't, when it's people that we love, we never really see it as a sacrifice because we want to serve them. But I see it, they've done a lot for me and I wanted to, I wanted to give them something that they were proud of. And I know that they'd, they'd have been super proud if I'd have just stayed home for 30 days. Yeah, or, well. or just done one marathon. <laughs> yeah, literally. Or just run with some kids and everything yeah. would have been good. You know, but it really drives me the, the thought of what, 
what they did for me and maybe it's my way of, of of giving back i mean you know that that sort of famous book the five love languages we we speak in different ways and you know maybe the, the language that i'm talking and the language that they like to receive is different holly says that to me sometimes she goes you know you don't have to do this stuff and i'm like <laughs> i know you don't think i have to but but i have to yeah. so yeah they were the they were the main drivers and and i think as well emma i think there was a little bit of I don't know. I I think there was probably a little bit of ego in it. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm honest, it's like I can show that this crash, it's not gonna it's not gonna knock me down. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna still do cool shit. And yeah. you know, it, it it that year 2018, I I turned 40. You know, at, at the start of the year, I nearly lost my life. Then I run my marathons, and then I turned 40. I'm like, holy shit, does it get any better? Like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. just. Yeah, it's just wild, mate. Yeah, I mean, I can empathize. I I made my goal of running my first triathlon sat on the chemo chair. And I remember the chemo nurses being like, like they thought I was mad. (laughs) They thought I was mad. But I I set that goal, sat, you know, wide up to chemo drugs. And... Um, and now I'm, I'm I'm kind of setting another challenge for my 40th year actually next year. Um, it's not going to be as epic as your challenge, but what is it? Are you oh, allowed to tell me? I am allowed to tell you, but it sounds so rubbish compared to your 30. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> I am going to do a big London challenge every month of the year. So I'm going to do the London Marathon, the London Triathlon, the Swim Serpentine, like all the big halves. So, so basically, it's got to be based in London because I'm from London. And I'm going to yeah. do Ride London and all the big London stuff. So I suppose for me, it's a challenge because it's training for like a marathon and a bike ride and a swim, you know, yeah. it's all kind of like multi-sport stuff. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, but I do, you know, it's, I, the, it's the reason why I asked you what what's your why? Because sometimes I do ask myself, what is my why? What, you know, why am yeah. I doing it? I, I kind mm. of know inside why I'm doing it. I think it's, you know, it's put the middle finger up at cancer kind of thing. But also, yeah. I, I think there is a little bit of ego. You know, you want to test yeah. yourself. And, and I agree, yeah. you want to make the people around you proud of you. But again, my yeah. family would be like, well, you don't need to do that. <laughs> Just do the marathon. <laughs> but but so there must be something ego there that pushes you to do the kind of crazy stuff. And I saw on your website, and I wanted to ask you about this as well, that you state that developing mental strength through physical challenges is one of the keys to a successful life. And Mm. I obviously, based on what I've just said, I fully agree. Um, And I I just wanted to ask you more about that and your opinions on the overlap. I think there's a certain amount of, there's always learning because the physical challenges that I do have so many different variables things that i can control things that i can be geeky about and then things that are totally outside of it and then i take time afterwards and that's why i always write about my challenges and and more recently i make vlogs about them to try and 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 honestly mate a lot of that it sounds bad but it's for me (laughs) but i just put it on my blog because other people but what that does is it just helps me to reflect. And the reflections that I have, you know, I mean, just after lockdown, we went out to the desert and, you know, we're we're riding in, in 54 degree heat and it was it was pretty hard. But, you know, when I'm so that's a physical and this resonates with me. And 
I believe that it's it works for everyone, but not right now. I have to first we have to tweak some things, let's say mentally for it to resonate. But I believe that that hard physical scenario or those hard physical scenarios I'm in make me stronger when it comes to like, you know, I've got a problem with an employee. Mm. Like it's easy compared to cycling your bike in 54 degrees, mate. You know, and it's a different type of of suffering, but it's also it's mental capacity as well. It it's testing my mental capacity. And that that's actually why I do a lot of challenges that are not official races because they're quite easy to quit. So like when you're in a race, like it's quite hard to quit the London Marathon. Like you'll have thousands of people going, come on, get back in. You can do it. You know, even if you walk and, you know, you get all this. Whereas we were just three guys out in the middle of the desert that day or four guys out in the middle of the desert that day. I could have just said, all right, lads, it's yeah. enough. Yeah. You know? So, and I think the, the, the physicality brings the mental side of it and the mental side of it passes over. And it also... And this sounds counterintuitive to some people I know, but it slows you down in certain situations because you realize that you don't always need to travel at high speed, if that makes sense. You'd come back in, like in certain situations in, in work, I could be quite, and, and when I was younger, especially when I was, when I used to work for Adidas in my sales career, I, I think I was quite fiery and stuff, whereas now through and this again might be age but i think through a lot of the challenges that i've done because you have to just take time and it's it's made me slow down in 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 my business in a healthy way that i'm comfortable with saying we'll just leave that for today and come back to it yeah you know and and this is what i mean this is the whole thing about ultra racing you know my my race is like the last challenge i did was was 24 hours you know, there's no rush. Yeah. What, what, what was no... that challenge? The 24 hour challenge? We did a, we did a race in, in Italy, which started, it started with a, a run, a 12 K run, 15 K kayak, 2 K swim, some CrossFit workout, 44 K bike, another CrossFit workout, marathon row, and then another CrossFit workout. <laughs> <laughs> and you just do that for 24 hours solid. Yeah, well, they kind of, because they're Italians, they're not very good with timekeeping. Like, there was supposed to be time frames for the event. So you sort of do the ride and then get an hour off. But then they're like, oh, no, we need to start this next event and, you know, all of this kind of wow. stuff. But it, it kind of, I just think these physical challenges, they just teach you in a way that it goes back to what we're saying about teaching children life skills. Like, you know, if you're willing to do something physical, yes, it proves the physical capacity, but it also proves. And if you can take it and reflect on it, it proves that you're actually willing to continuously learn. And maybe this is, you know, maybe these challenges, maybe my crash, you know, maybe your illness is your, your, your MBA. Yeah. You know, people talk about COVID being a free degree, you know, maybe, maybe this is, maybe you and I, maybe you've probably gone back to university as well because you're a lot smarter than me, but you know, maybe, maybe this is what we're supposed to be doing yeah, i don't know yeah so these extreme challenges though you believe that they help individuals grow outside of sport absolutely it's nothing about i'm becoming a worse ultra runner mate yeah but i think i'm becoming a better human i think 
Yeah. Someone might say I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> so the people listening that aren't going to go out and do an endurance event, do you, mm. do you think they can still learn from what you're saying about life? Yes. I think it'd be very wrong of me to say unless you're going to do a 24-hour event or go and do something in extreme weather, you won't have a good life. However, I think these things help me and that's my personality. I'm mm. one human being. I've been brought up the way I think the way I think and they've really helped me. A lot of people will find that they're able to wake up super excited, feeling mentally, physically and spiritually fantastic without extreme physical suffering <laughs> which sounds extreme way better <laughs> um, you know but i don't i've seen a lot of it as suffering and mm. as hardships and sometimes the stuff that is harder resonates a bit more um but to answer your question absolutely straight if you're not into this stuff i salute you and <laughs> if you want to try it i I, I sort of encourage you to tread with, with caution, but I, it, it really comes back to what I've said a number of times. If you wake up and, and this is what I say to people and, and, and often, sadly, often that the answer is, or the response is not great, but if you wake up and you step out of your bed and this is every single morning I do this. And again, maybe it sounds a bit ego driven, a bit vain, but step out of the bed, the first steps on the floor, how does my body feel? I want it to feel good mm -hmm. because we're designed to feel good. And then, you know, lights on and I just have a look at myself in the mirror, you know, and some days it's pure flexing, mate. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm like, am I happy with how I look, you know? And, and, and we, you know, everyone, no one wants to look shit, mm. you know, no one wants to feel shit either. And if the system that you've found is, enabling you to put your two feet on the floor every morning and feel good, look in the mirror and be proud and actually be super excited about the day, then you have the best system for you. Yeah. And well, I can't argue with it. Yeah. What has been your, your most difficult challenge? <laughs> Physical challenge? Yeah. Um, I, I think like my, my ultra challenge is, they, they're all, they're all different. They're not all hard. They're all very different, you know, and, and a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, I want to do an extreme or a, an ultra marathon. What's the hardest? Mm. They're as hard as you, as you make them. When I, I spent in 2015, I ran marathon to Sable across the Sahara. Mm -hmm. That's eight days. That's quite hard, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I honestly, I think my biggest challenge is, really what we've been talking about is really trying to grow as a human being, being as aware as I possibly can, try to be good to the people around me and the constant effort to feel great every morning is something that, as you can probably tell, I, I put a whole heap of emphasis on. And and I think as well, we, we, we need to stay conscious of, of the world that we were put in and you know, and again, it's a little bit cliched perhaps, but no one's going to remember me in 50 years, mm -hmm. you know, 
and and maybe even shorter you know i'm probably i'm probably here for i like to think i'll live to 100 but i i probably won't mate <laughs> you know i'm here for another 30 to 40 years and 10 years 20 years after i'm gone no one's going to remember me but if i could possibly if the people that i could interact with i could leave them with something positive and that's that's purely it's probably one of your motivations for for doing the show if if someone can and that's what i said when i started my show i'm like if if one person listens to this and gets a tiny bit better today then you know we've done something yeah then we're winning good. yeah so just take, I think so, mate. take me back to your hardest challenge so marathon de Saab. yeah how do you manage well do you ever have any self-doubt and how do you manage that and how do you deal with the pain oh. because there is pain oh. or is that yeah. for a whole nother episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, I, I'll answer you straight. Yeah, I have plenty of self-doubt, plenty. And, you know, in Marathon de Sable, there was times where I was like, you know, and, and, and it still happens now, mate. You know, it's like I do multi-stage races. How can I, how can I go again tomorrow? And then, but now I'm a lot better equipped to bring that under control because now, and, and this is, I think, what I learned a lot in my marathons, it's like tomorrow doesn't matter because today is what matters, you know, and that's really important because there's a lot you can do right now to make sure that you feel better tomorrow. So we're, we're often thinking about, okay, how am I going to feel in a week in two weeks in three weeks? And we don't go, how am I, how am I feeling right now? So yeah, there is, there is a lot of, there's a lot of self doubt there, but there are systems that I've learned. And, and I think it would be, insanely arrogant and and a little bit stupid of me to think that i don't have self-doubt i think self-doubt is a is a very natural human emotion mm -hmm. and the older i get and the more emotionally aware i get the more i know that we need to speak and we need to acknowledge these emotions and sometimes that might be grabbing hold of a friend and saying mate i'm absolutely shitting myself about tomorrow and he might turn around and go mate today's today live you know or he might go oh yeah i'm really scared as well <laughs> you know? yeah. so i think that's the i think yeah the answer the answer there is yeah there's there's plenty of self-doubt but there's also confidence and by doing things you build that confidence so by exposing yourself and i think if you look at your life no matter who you are there's there's some great examples of some insane resilience like a lot of people you know and, and you'll resonate with this quite quite strongly emma you know a lot of i get a lot of ladies postpartum and mm. they'll come in and are mentally weak i'm like you've had two children <laughs> you are not mentally weak yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? it's honestly and, and i'm like i'm not trying to be this super nice guy who's mm. you know trying to lift up females or anything but i'm just like You've had, you've given birth twice. You're going to be absolutely fine here. Yeah. So it's you know, like, it's basically like reflecting what you've done, isn't it? <laughs> reflecting on your accomplishments and saying to yourself, yeah. well, I've done that. So I can do that. 100%, mate. You know, and, and it's, again, if there's, if there's two key things that have, have come from this conversation, it's definitely awareness and, 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 and reflection. And to create more awareness, you have to have a lot of reflection. But mm -hmm. reflection is very hard. Yeah. You know, and I could, we could sit and I could say, Sayama, when you were going through chemo, like, what did it really feel like? Mm. 
you know, and that would then that would probably bring a lot of things up, mm. you know, and that is so hard. Yeah. And to be vulnerable about it and to be. Yeah. And and, and then you're going to say things like, yeah, I I did think about not being here anymore. You know, and that's brutal. Mm. And And generally people are really uncomfortable with that. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it, it, it's one of the one of the kickers to my my crash is I had a moment where I wasn't here mm. and I was on the other side of the road and I was away from it was as the truck driver. He got out of his truck and he walked towards me and I was laying on the floor, holding my shoulder, trying to breathe. And, you know, people telling me what to do and stuff. And I was in insane amount of pain. And I saw straight through this guy. And even more freakly, the guy was wearing like a Pakistani sort of garb. So he looked like a ghost. And I went straight through him. And I was sat on the other side of the road. Ooh. And I was just sat there looking in in sort of a little bit of confusion about what was going on on the other side of the road and all this commotion around this guy who'd been like obviously knocked off his bike. And then I realized that that was actually me, was my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, again, mate, I, I don't want to freak people out. I don't know what happened. I don't yeah. know, you know, that I was actually interviewed on a podcast a couple of months ago and this chick goes, do you know what this is called? And I was like, no, she goes, it's an NDE. And I was like, what's an NDE? And she's like, near-death experience oh. and so i go home and i start googling it. Yeah, i'm yeah, like yeah. holly holly <laughs> you know what happened it's actually true and there's a case for this yeah yeah yeah. but i think i think the point is it's about processing the trauma i think that's kind of what you're trying to say isn't it is actually mm. it's got to start with you processing that trauma reflecting yeah. on it and then you're able to make changes from that but yeah i mean that's quite a deep place to finish but i do need to need to let yeah. you go <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, I, I've learned loads from this conversation and I feel like we oh. could keep going for another hour or so because I've literally got through half my questions, but <laughs> we will do another another one because I've always wanted to speak to an endurance athlete in all honesty because I've always been fascinated with how you guys do what you do. Um, but that, oh, that is for oh. another one where we can get geeky because I'd quite like to get geeky like physically. Um, but oh. we can do that another time. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I really do love your positivity your mindset your purpose and i do think this chat will inspire so so many people listening so yeah really marcus so. thank you i'm sorry folks if i've confused you and bounced <laughs> around and i just try it's me it's what's on my mind and coming out some days i articulate it in a way that works some days it sounds more confusing but i think for for every for anyone who is out there who maybe is maybe life has given them a couple of lemons i just you're not alone we all we all go through it and you know, like, like you said, Emma, the, the reflection and, you know, you'll be able to look back and you and I can probably look back and cry together. And we could also look back and, and laugh together about what we've both been through and what everyone's been through. So I think it's perfectly normal, but it's been super awesome, mate. Thank you so much for, for teeing this up. I love talking. as Amazing. you can tell. Where can people find you, Marcus, if they want to know more? The best is probably hop over to my Instagram, MJD underscore Smith, or my blog, mjdsmith.com. And my ramblings are over there. And Brilliant. if you want to listen to a lot more of my voice, I've got about 850 podcasts on the Inner Fight podcast. So I talk, I actually listen on that. I ask questions and then I listen. I do what, what you've actually done really well. You just let the guest talk and it's really straightforward. <laughs> I get the easy job, exactly. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you.